Amen. Well, good morning. We're in Luke 15. If um, you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anybody need a Bible? Luke 15. Now, you guys know that we go through the Bible. We've been in 2 Timothy, and we're supposed to go into chapter 3, but it was all about perilous times and just everything going crazy, and I figured that wouldn't really be so nice on Father's Day. So we're going to try to look at the heart of a fa- the Father today and get a greater understanding of our Father in Heaven. And so I'm, I'm grateful uh, that we have a Father that we have access to, um, a Father that loves us, a Father that pours out His grace and His mercy upon us, and uh, He's faithful. And like Dan was saying, that maybe you didn't have a Father like that, but we can never compare our earthly Father to our Father in Heaven. There is no comparison. And I don't even think I can bring a proper message to you. I, I feel inadequate to even share with you the Father's love because I don't fully understand the depths of it, though I know what the Word of God says, but I think it's way deeper than even I can grasp. And so we're going to look at a very unique Father as Jesus in Luke 15 shares uh, the prodigal son, a parable. But what he's really doing is revealing the true heart of the Father to a group of so-called sinners and tax collectors, scribes and Pharisees who have a different outlook of what the Father should be. And so this is an opportunity for Jesus to reveal the true heart of our Father in heaven. We pick it up in verse 11, and it says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want, and he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, speaking of a Gentile, and sent him, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks or the pods that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough unto spare? I perish with hunger. I will arise, I will go to my Father, I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. In other words, I have sinned against God and before you. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost, and he is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and he drew near the house, and he heard the music and the dancing, and he called for one of the servants, and he asked, 
what things these meant. Then he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came the father out to entreat him. And he answered and said, Father, lo, these many years I do serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet you've never given me even a goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son has come, which has devoured your living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Father, we thank you um, for just this beautiful portion of Scripture that we can experience your true love for us and your care for us, Lord. And, and Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would just allow us to understand your love even more today as we look to the greatest Father of all times. And we ask that you would bless everyone here today and speak to them. Let them have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I entitled the message of Father's Love. Some of the things that amaze me about our Father in Heaven is like when I read John 17 and it tells us that the Father loves you and me with the same love that He has for the Son. Is that mind-blowing or what? Can you grasp that? I can't. Like I said, I feel so inadequate to stand up here and try to tell you about the Father's love. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's full of grace. He's full of forgiveness. We could learn a lot from Him. We are to be a reflection of Jesus Christ who is a reflection of the Father. And we're to be Christ-like. We are to be loving. We are to be forgiving. We are to be full of mercy and grace. And we are to be faithful. You know, thinking back, raising my kids, there was a time where they really looked up to me. You know, when you've got little kids and they just look at you like a superhero. And I thought about when I grew up. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I, I never knew what it was like to be born again until sometime years later. But I knew there was only one God, Jesus Christ. He was Lord and Savior. And I kind of looked at the stories in the Bible as God is some kind of a superhero with superpowers. And growing up, and many of you grew up with those superheroes in the movies and on TV, you know, guys like uh, Aquaman, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman. And we looked up to them as these heroes, but the problem was is that they were fictional. But I want to talk about another kind of superhero or superman, and that's a godly dad. Now, I don't know whether you had a biological father or maybe not, but when you look at a father who's put 
in a household to raise his kids and maybe someone else's kids. It takes a real father to be a father. Anyone can be a dad. A father that is committed to his marriage, committed to his family, committed to following God, a godly man, to me, that's a real superman. Now, the good news is you don't have to wear blue tights or underwear. You, I thought that would go over better than that. but <laughs> I did hear, though, said by someone that the most endangered species in the U.S. is godly dads. Which my point is to make to you, if you're here today, that says a lot about you. God bless you. God loves you. You know, as dads, we, we want the best for our kids, don't we? we? We always want our kids to be better than us, to excel. And I remember growing up and wanting to be like my dad, but as I grew up, he wasn't around. And many of you have had that situation. And so I always told myself that I'd make sure I'd be around for my kids. And, and I was, but God had to show me something else because even though I could be around them, I could be as far away as you could imagine just even being around them. And so I wanted to have something in common with all of my kids because you know how it is, mom and dad, when they grow up, they get to be teenagers, they really don't want anything to do with you. So I remember putting a guitar and a surfboard in everybody's room, just like, no pressure, it's over there. And the beautiful thing of that is that we, we surf and we play music together, so we have that bond and we keep that, that friendship in there. I'm still their dad and they're still my, my, my sons and my daughters, and my grandsons and granddaughters. As a dad, we always want the best for our kids. And what a beautiful thing is when you see your kids excel more than you did in an area of your life. I read um, a couple of things about dads, four points about a father. Number one, a good father trains his child, Ephesians 6.4. Number two, a good father is one who encourages his children, Judges 6.11-15. through 15. A good father is one who forgives, and we just read about that in Luke 15. Do you realize that, you know, sometimes I've listened to people harp on people who have prodigals. And they blame it on the parents. You know, like you weren't a good example for them. You're, you got this son or this daughter. She's so far from God. And, and they kind of like tear into the parents. And you got to tell them, hey, whoa, stop. The greatest father of all time, our father in heaven, has prodigals. Because his kids have free will. And so if the greatest father of all times has prodigals, should you be surprised if you have a couple of strays? So we need to pour into them. We need to love them. We need to encourage them. We need to have forgiveness when they come back to their senses. Number four, a father's love. Our Father has so much love for us to look back on how God has trained us, to look back and remember all the times that God has encouraged us to come back as a prodigal because God has instilled His love in us and for Him to love and to forgive us is mind-blowing. Are you kidding me? He knew I was going to mess up at such a level that I did and He loved me anyways? 
You know, kids don't always understand when you're raising them. They get mad at you. They think you're mean. They doubt what you say. And when they're older, they just, then they start to see why you did everything you did. My youngest son uh, sent me a picture of this sign he saw, and i got to read it to you. It's great. The sign says this, My parents spanked me as a child. As a result, I now suffer from a psychological condition known as respect for others. This survey I read on children's views on dad at different ages goes like this. At four, a child thinks dad can do anything. He's like a superhero. At eight, he does a lot. He, he knows so much. At 12, he doesn't know very much. At 14, he didn't know anything. He didn't even get it. By 21, dad's just lame. At 25, dad knows maybe something, not a whole lot. When they reach 30, let's see what dad thinks about that. At 35, before we decide, let's see what dad says. At 50, what would dad have done? And at 60, my dad knew everything. Yeah, amen. When they're little, you're their hero. When they get older, you don't know anything. And when you're really old, dad was pretty smart. Dads, I encourage you today to train up your children in the ways of the Lord. To encourage them as much as possible. When they mess up, forgive them. Show mercy and grace. Love them. And above all, love. If we as fathers have love above all, Everything else will fall into place. But if you have no love, you'll make a mess of your family and a mess of your relationship with your children. Love God first, love your family, and love the lost. Here in Luke, we're looking at Jesus actually gives us this story, and we always call it the prodigal son, but there's actually two prodigals here. There's a younger son and an older son and then we see the Father's heart. And this is amazing because He's going to re reveal the Father in Heaven how He looks at you and me. And it's going to be a little disturbing to the scribes and the Pharisees who only look at God as sort of a, a shepherd and a provider and don't understand Him like Jesus, is, like Jesus does. I want to say this. <clears throat> that you may be here today and you've had a prodigal. Maybe you were the prodigal. I know I was a prodigal. I found the Lord and I went back to the world and hit rock bottom again and had to look up and thank God for His forgiveness. But you know, even if you say to yourself, I don't have a prodigal, I never was a prodigal, I, I think that we can all end up being a prodigal, even being in church. 
I think of how many times I've been a prodigal just at this pulpit. And you're, you're looking at me like, oh gosh, what did he do? When I stop and think of how many times I've been here singing worship and my mind is so far from the Father. When I'm sitting in church and we're opening the Word of God and we're studying, but our hearts are miles away from the Father. We're thinking of other things. I, I think I've been guilty of being a prodigal even in church. And you know, the enemy attacks you. He goes after your mind first. That's why we're supposed to take our thoughts captive. And why would you doubt him trying to get your mind to wander in church? You know, like sometimes when there's this, that verse that's just for you, and all of a sudden someone texts you, or you look over at something and you miss the whole thing that's said for you. Don't underestimate the enemy. We can come to church and sing, study, and serve, and our heart could be miles away from the Father. And we can find ourselves coming every week doing time and not spending time with the Lord, thinking like a Pharisee because I did this and I jumped through that hoop. I sang some songs. We read the Scriptures. I sat through Pastor Steve's whole sermon. Oh my gosh, that must count for something. And we find ourselves just doing time in church and not spending time with our Lord. We don't want to find ourselves like the older brother that we read here who basically is a representation of the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus is talking to. He was all into works and legalisms. And he looked really good on the outside. And, and many Christians can look good on the outside. They come to church. They, they serve. They do this. They do that. They look good on the outside. But their heart's not for the Father at all. It's more of an image and to let people see how great they are. And that's what the Pharisees were like. They look good on the outside, but their heart is so far from the Father. In verse 11, we see a picture of this young man who is fed up with his father's rules. He's fed up with his father's commands. He's fed up living under the roof of his dad who tells him what to do. And he's like, I'm done with your rules. I'm done with everything. And in a sense, asking for his inheritance early is basically saying, I wish you were just dead. Give me what's mine. You ever had a teenager that thought they were God? You ever had a teenager who thought they knew more than you? This young kid... Jesus telling this says in verse 11, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided the livelihood up. So in that case, the older brother would get two thirds and the younger brother would get a third. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and he wasted it. That's where we get the word prodigal. Prodigal means wasted or wasting. He wasted it. He wasted his possessions with prodigal living, riotous living. And when he had spent all, 
there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to want, to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to basically a Gentile, a citizen of that far country, and sent him into the fields to feed the swine, and he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the husk or the, the carob pods is what they were that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. So he squandered everything away, didn't listen to his father, and hit rock bottom. The beautiful part about this is verse 17, but when he came to himself. You know, sometimes and maybe some of you can agree with me, is that God had to let me hit rock bottom to get me to wake up or to get me to look up. Man, I got it all going on. Lord, I know better than everybody else. And then all of a sudden everything's gone and everything's destroyed and you're just at rock bottom. And now I got to look up and say, you were right, Lord. And the love of the Father to be so gracious to receive us back, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to wash us and set us on our feet and wrap His arms around us and say He loves us is a mind blower. Because we don't do that for others. We hold grudges. God forgives you and He chooses us to forget. And we're supposed to be like Him. And we say, okay, I'll forgive you because the Bible says I have to, but I'm not going to forget. Who are you? Who am I? How much has the Father forgiven you? What right do we have after all that we've been forgiven for not to forgive, not to restore, not to bring healing? This young man, when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. That means I've sinned against God. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now think about this. This is so cool because remember in the beginning it was give me. And now it's make me. Before it was give me, get out of my life, give me what's mine. I'm not going to be under your rules. I'm not living under your conditions. I'm out of here. I know better than you. And then he hits rock bottom and he's no longer saying give me. He's saying make me a servant. I don't know about you, but that's what happened to me. When I just finally just surrendered, I said, Lord, you win. I give up. Make me a servant. What a transformation. Notice the father was always watching the horizon for his son. You know, the thing was, you know, thank God they didn't have Venmo. Because, you know, mom probably would have been slipping some Venmo under the radar to him, which would just kept him away longer. Or if dad would have sent enough money for six months more of lease on the, the rental where he was at, he wouldn't be back until that six months. You know, it, it's, it, there's a time sometimes we as parents enable our kids not to go forward, and it's our fault. But this father was doing the right thing. His son didn't want anything to do with him. His son wanted his portion. He said, fine, here you go. Go, figure it out for yourself. But he waited and he watched. Every day he stood on the highest point at his land and he watched that horizon for any little dust that would kick up, hoping that that was his son. 
And when we are prodigals and we walk away from Jesus, somehow thinking the world's going to be good, when we walked away from the world because it was so lousy, and we came to Jesus, and then things got rough, and we thought going back, to Je- going back to the world would be fun. It's not fun. And at that point, the Lord, you know, because the Bible says, draw near unto Him and He will draw near to you. Who makes the first move? You do. You know, I hear people say, you know, God seems so far away. He seems so far away. What happened? Um, He never moved. You did. But when you move and you distance yourselves from the true and living God who loves you and paid for you, He will stand watching the horizon for you to come back with arms open wide. That's good news. And as a father, that's how I'm supposed to be with my children. If they mess up, I'm supposed to be like this, ready to receive them back with arms open wide. He said, make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20, he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Wow. And the father said to him, to his servants, he said, bring out the best robe. That very special robe, that robe that nobody has. Bring out that best robe and and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and and put uh, sandals on his feet, shoes on his feet and, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this is my son who was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to be merry. And the amazing thing is, is he runs to his his son and his son starts saying, listen, you know, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And, and, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can get out, make me a servant. The father just stops him. He says, bring, bring the best robe. Get out the ring. The best robe means he was part of the family again. Putting the ring on his finger says now he would move and live in the, in the father's authority. And to have the shoes on his feet. The slaves didn't have shoes. He was reinstated to the full maximum potential. He was a son again. He was a son again. And here we see Jesus telling us the nature of our Father in heaven. Jesus saying it himself in front of the scribes and the Pharisees. Can you imagine if I said it to the scribes and Pharisees? They wouldn't receive what I just said. They'd be like, are you crazy? You'd be stupid for responding to that prodigal like that because in their minds, that prodigal should have been one or two things. Either a slave or put to death for what he did for disgracing the family. Did you know that? You know, I think the reason Jesus wrote this was to counter a rabbinical parable that was basically the same thing. But here we see Jesus revealing the nature of the Father. And in Luke 10, verse 22, Jesus is saying this. He says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. 
That's what Jesus was doing right here with the scribes and the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the sinners. You know, it's, he said right before we came to chapter 15, he said, he that has an ear, let him hear. So if you were truly seeking, God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. If you were truly seeking as Jesus revealed who the father was, you were going to get it. But if you're not really seeking, you weren't going to get it. And that's what Jesus was doing here. And you know what? When he said this, I'm sure the Pharisees were just livid. Because they were thinking that kid should have been a slave or he should have been put to death. Because, see, they were basing this off a rabbinical uh, parable, which was the same as this parable. And I think that's why Jesus said this parable. Because in the rabbinic parable, it was the exact same situation Except when the son came back, the father made him a slave and the son was a master to his own father and was never restored as a son again. And so Jesus, blowing the minds of the scribes and the Pharisees, throws this little twist in. Get the best robe, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf, let's party, he's my son. And Jesus Christ reveals the Father's grace. Watching. Waiting for his son, his daughter to come home. You know, I read a story about a pastor named, he was an evangelist, H.W. Brown. Evangelizing throughout our U.S. back in like, I don't know, I think it was like 1850s. And he did this evangelism crusade in Wisconsin and it was really good and and months later he came back to see how they were doing and he gets off the train and he he sees this old man standing there at the train and he recognized him from the crusade and they started talking he says what are you doing here he says the old man says I'm waiting for my son he goes oh your son's coming in today and he goes well no uh maybe I don't know and he says, why? What, what, I mean, he goes, well, my son left years ago, but when he left, he looked me in the eye and he said, Father, I will be back one day. And so every day I come here and I stand at the train hoping that today's the day. And so H.W. Brown went back to where he lived and, and he ended up coming back to this very spot 13 years later. And he gets off the train, and there's the same old man right there. A little older, a little more tattered. And he started to speak with him and talk to him, and he didn't realize that the old man's son was on the same train as him. And as soon as the old man saw his son walking down the aisle of the train car with his luggage, he said that old man just jumped like a gazelle. He just leaped like a deer up into that car and ran and dove onto his son and started weeping with tears. And by the time they came out of the train car, he said the old man was drenched in tears. And the old man looked at H.W. Brown and he said, I would have waited till the day I died. And I thought, that's so our Father. And maybe that's for somebody today. Now we're going to see prodigal number two. 
as we look into the older son coming in verse 25, it says, The older son was in the field, and as he came and he drew near the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and so he called one of the servants and he asked, and he said, What, what do these things mean? And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe, the sound, your father, he's received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Now notice he's not happy. It says, but he is angry and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Look, the father going after his other son now. So he answered him and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you've never even given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son, doesn't even call him his brother, he just says, this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said unto him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So look at the heart of the Father here. watching the horizon for his youngest son, runs to him. You know, that was unheard of in Israel. The father would never run to the son. That would be undignified. The son would run to the father. So it shows the father's heart. That's our father in heaven. And then he's got the older son who represents the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to, a legalist. I've done everything. I've crossed all the T's. I've dotted all the I's. I've, I've kept your commands. I kept all the rules. You know, you've never given me nothing. Where's my stuff? He, he is just as interested in stuff as the first one was before he took off. And if you noticed, his heart is even farther away from the father than the youngest son who's returned. We see a beautiful picture here of a son that was lost and then found. A son that was dead and now is alive. As a son that went into the world and hit rock bottom and gave his life and got born again. Coming to the Father, only asking to be a servant of the Father. And here we've got Prodigal 2, the older son, who's like a Pharisee, so full of legalism, and I did this, and I did that, and I deserve this, and I deserve that. And we realize that his heart is so far from the Father, even farther than the first one's was when he left. <clears throat> the amazing thing here as I look at this portion of Scripture is the older son is actually calling his father a prodigal. Because prodigal means wasted, wasting. You're, you're wasting your love on him. You're wasting the fatted calf on him. You're wasting it on that. I've kept all your rules. I've kept all your commands. You've never even given me a goat. He spent all your money with prostitutes. He ruined your name. He partied. He shamed you. He shamed our family. And you're wasting your love on him. He'll never change. And how many times do religious people 
get afraid to be that honest about the love of God to people because it's, it's going to be some kind, oh, well, you know, that's cheap grace. You, you know, forgiving him, that's cheap grace. He, he's not going to change. He'll just abuse it. Let me tell you something. There is nothing about there is nothing cheap about grace grace cost the blood of god's son on the cross and it is the most expensive thing in the universe and god extends it to us because it's fully paid for and it'll be the very thing that turns our hearts towards god the younger son realized what he really longed for was something much more than the world had to offer. See, because God puts a hole in every man and woman's heart that it can only be filled with Jesus. There's never enough drugs. There's never enough sex. There's never enough alcohol. There's never enough power. There's never enough of anything. You always want more money more sex, more drugs, more alcohol, more power. There's only one thing that fills that hold, and that's Jesus Christ. And now you just want more Jesus. I love it that God not only forgives us, but he chooses to remember no more. We have a Father in heaven that loves us. With a love, like I said at the beginning of this message, I, I, have, I, I am not qualified to share the love of God with you. I, I don't have a clue the depths of his love. I only know what I can read and what I can share with you, but I can tell you this, even though I don't fully understand his love, I know it's greater than ours. And that we're supposed to be a reflection of him and his, his love is unconditional. That's a word for us. We can be truthful with grace and love. But we want to reflect the Father. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your kindness, your gentleness, your meekness. I could just go on and on, Lord. There's so many things that describe you, and I, I wish those things could be said of us, too. I wish that somebody would look at us and in the community tell somebody, hey, do you know that guy? Yeah, God, he's so much like Jesus. She's so much like Jesus. Lord, help us to reflect you in this community, Lord. Pour out your spirit on this place and, and give us the strength that we need to be the men and women that you've called us to be, to be the fathers and the mothers that you've called us to be to recognize the enemy wants to destroy the family and the church, Lord God, but we won't let him in. Lord, we pray for a hedge of protection around our families and, and around our minds and our thoughts, Lord God, our hearts. Protect us from the attacks of the enemy. Strengthen us to have our armor on and help us to fight the good fight and to go forward for you, to persevere, to run the race, to finish well, to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we know we can do all things through you because you're our strength and the strength of the Lord is our joy. And it brings joy to your heart to see us strong, trusting in you. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him right now. It's all by faith. 
You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You've got to be like that prodigal son that just realizes the world's got nothing to offer. And God has everything to offer. And you have to come to Him in faith. So if that's you today, would you just say this in your heart, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of all my sins. I thank You for the cross. I believe You died for my sin on the cross that by putting my faith in You, I could have everlasting life. I believe You rose from the dead three days later. You're seated at the right hand of the Father and You're coming again one day. Lord, save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, just, just lift up your hand that I could see and just keep you in prayer. God bless you. Anyone else? Don't be shy. This is eternity at stake. You may have been coming to church for a while, but maybe you just got it today. Make your election sure. Anyone else? God bless you and you. Thank you, Lord God. Father, this day uh, we not only want to love on our earthly fathers, we want to love on you. And so, Lord, we're going to go home and make a big prime rib and sushi for you. We'll eat it, but we'll think of you. <laughs> it's your day, and we just want to say to you, Happy Father's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.